We're in a series in the book of Ephesians called Heaven's Treasure Chest. And uh, Ephesians is an interesting place because it had one of the greatest revivals recorded in biblical history. So imagine this. In Acts 19, the Apostle Paul, he's preaching in Ephesus, and there's equivalent to what we would call probably a New Age festival. So picture Burning Man there. So you've got all these witches, warlocks, sorcerers, all sorts of stuff happening. Paul preaches the gospel, and the gospel is being demonstrated so powerfully that these people are taking their, their uh, magic books or emblems of stuff, and they begin burning it. It has a citywide revival. Miracles are happening so extreme that they're taking handkerchiefs that Paul was just wiping his sweat with. Notice, he wasn't like saying in the name of Jesus, I impart miracle power to these things. He's just working. He's wiping his sweat. He's got an apron on as he's making tents to not get his clothes dirty. They're stealing the handkerchiefs. They're stealing the aprons, and they're going and laying them on sick people and demoniacs, and people are getting instantly set free. So this is the kind of stuff that's happening. And Paul is writing a letter to this church in Ephesus, and he has no correction for them. There's nothing he says to rebuke them. This is the greatest revival in, in biblical history. And he begins telling them, you have access to everything that heaven contains. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, you already, you already have access to this. And so with that in mind, like, what do, you pray, what do you pray for the people who have everything? You know, my family says I'm hard to shop for, like, at Christmas time. Like, you're so hard to shop for. I'm like, like just take me shopping. Like, I promise it's super easy. Like, I, I can name you a lot of things. Let's just go to the watch store. And so, um, so like, it's like, here's this church who has everything. They have everything that heaven contains. It begins listing out all these blessings. So what do you, what do you pray for them? And we pick that up in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, I'll be reading from the Passion Translation. Because of this, since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your tender love towards all his devoted ones, my heart is always full and overflowing with thanks to you for God as I constantly remember you in my prayer. So here's the prayer. I pray that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would impart to you the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation to know him through your deepening intimacy with him. Last time we talked about the spirit of wisdom, it's interesting, one of the songs we sang this morning was, uh, was about the spirit of revelation. Another song was about opening the eyes of our understanding. So thank you, worship team, for tuning into what I was going to speak about today, helping us get ready for it. But today I want to look at the spirit of revelation. So I'm talking about revelation. I'm talking about knowledge that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's not something that you can discover. It's not something that you can hunt down in a book or even the Bible or even a commentary. So the picture of revelation uh, is... The word revelation is actually the same word that's used for the last book of the Bible, revelation. And it's a picture of an unveiling, an uncovering. Okay, so it's locked up in this realm that the Bible calls a mystery realm here. So a revelation, it's a, another way you could translate it is the spirit of discovery. Okay? So do you remember um, back in the Old Testament, there's a prophet named Elisha. And in 2 Kings 6, Elisha, he is uh, in this city called Dothan. And there's this king of this army, uh, the, the, the king of Aram. And... He is hunting down Elisha. He wants to kidnap Elisha. And so uh, Elisha and his servant, they're camped out in Dothan. The servant wakes up the next morning, and he goes out, and the king of Aram has the entire city surrounded with an army, and they're there to take Elisha. And so the servant begins freaking out. And so he's like, what's going on here? And so um, Elisha says something interesting. So he he says, Elisha, master, what shall we do? 2 Kings 6.15. Elisha responds in a way that probably sounded ridiculous. Here's his response. Don't be afraid, for there are more with us than there are with them. That's very interesting. So what happens next is um, he prays for the spirit of revelation or the spirit of unveiling or the spirit of discovery upon his servant. Here's what he prays. Oh Lord, this is Elisha for his servant. Please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the servant and he saw. The mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So from heaven's perspective, it wasn't Elisha who was surrounded. It was this enemy army that was surrounded. 
And what happened? They were there the whole time. You know, Elisha didn't run out of the house to see if they were there. He already knew that they were there by revelation, but this servant needed to see what was already there. That's a picture of the spirit of revelation. Is when there's, I mean, he begins talking about these things in the Bible that you just can't sit down and meditate and figure out. He's talking about how God has this cosmic plan to redeem everything invisible and visible to himself, and he's going to use the church to do it. He's created one new man out of Jew and Gentile, that there's no longer a temple, that the, the church, the people of God, are the temple where his glory dwells. He, all these things, like you can't just sit here and intellectually figure them out. You can't even read them and figure them out. You can read them and understand them in your head, but it takes the Holy Spirit to go, to breathe in those things, for those things to be unveiled in your spirit to where they become real. Revelation is essential to change how you think. You can't just go from a bad thought to just like get rid of that thought. You have to exchange that thought. Okay, you can't just like, okay, I'm not going to think bad things anymore. You have to replace it with something good. Um, let me just give you an example of a bad thought. Okay, So a lot of people believe that the farther I go with God, that means I'm going to have greater demonic resistance in my life, and it's probably not even worth it to go there. Okay, It's a pretty popular thing. And some people shorten it to this. Um, new levels, new devils. Right? Um, just because it rhymes doesn't mean it's, it's from God. Okay? And so it's a lot of people, they, they begin to believe this lie, and here's what happens. When you believe a lie, you empower that lie in your life, and it begins to act as if it's true, even though it's not true. Okay? It takes revelation to come and burst that thing, not an intellectual argument. It takes the Holy Spirit for you to go, hold on, that's not true. If you think about the story we just read, um, the angels are there camped around. What were the angels doing? Nothing. If they were there for war, there would have been war. The angels are camped around and they did nothing. Elijah did not run out, Elisha did not run out to see if the angels were out there. He knew that they were there because they were always there with them. Why? Because the greater mantle and the greater his assignment, the greater increased angelic presence that came into his life. So how about we say this? New levels, new angels. Like why on earth would we want anything less than that? The angels there to keep you safe and to help you effectively represent the kingdom in power. Okay, so Revelation, it can't be hunted down or dug out. It has to be revealed. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 and 11. Then the disciples came to Jesus and said, Why do you speak to us in parables? And Jesus answered, To you it has been given to know the secrets, another translation says, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, it's locked up in this realm called mystery. Now, we don't unlock mysteries. Mysteries are unlocked for us. It's interesting that Jesus said, remember when he said, Upon this rock I will build my church. What was the rock? Peter had a divine revelation that Jesus was the Christ. The rock that the church is built on is the revelation that comes from Jesus. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What is it that we live on? We live on revelation. We live off the revelation that comes from the voice of God. Are you guys doing good? I know it's late. I'm talking fast. You guys are all right. Gang, without revelation, people perish. The Bible doesn't say we perish because of lack of knowledge or a lack of miracles or a lack of money. We don't perish because of lack of, 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 of anything. We, we perish for a lack of knowledge. I think I said it wrong at the beginning. The Bible says we, people, my people perish for a lack of knowledge, not a lack of miracles, not a lack of money. This is what we feed on. This is the, this is the bread of the Christian life. This isn't like, you know, like cool rims on a car. Or like, hey, I'd like to have some upgraded leather seats. Like, I could probably do without them. Like, this, this is the motor. 
This is the thing that makes the whole Christian life walk is the revelation of God, of not just reading it, but actually having it comprehended. Um, listen to 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 10. Paul is pulling back the veil and showing you this is how the spirit realm works. Okay, he's about to give you secrets of the kingdom here. Uh, verse 6. Yet among the mature, oh, there it is, perfect. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, they're just doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom from God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor mind of a man imagined, what God has prepared for those who loved him. In other words, there's nothing we could do to think up the things that God has, but look at the next verse. But these things that no one can imagine, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So today in the uh, World Wide Web, we've got uh, search engines. They're able to search vast amounts of information using all these Craig algorithms and bring you that information. Okay? Here's the picture in that. Is there's this thing called the mysteries of God. How did he phrase it? The depths of God. Okay? Imagine searching the depths of God. He says, this is what the Holy Spirit does. He is the greatest search engine you will ever come up against. And he says, um, this Holy Spirit, he goes and he searches the depths of God, these things that are unknowable, and he brings them to you so that you can know them. Guys, this is what we feed on. Revelation sets the boundaries for faith. Okay? What you see according to Revelation is what you have faith for. If you can't see it, you can't believe it. Okay? It's going to affect how you act. So... Um, I don't know how young the kids were. So Evan was probably four, so his, uh, his older cousin, uh, Luke, was about five years old. And so uh, we're out with my sister and the kids, and so I take the kids into the bathroom at a restaurant. And so um, I've got Evan and I've got Luke in there, and so Evan's going into the sit-down bathroom. But So they must have been younger than that, maybe like two or three. And so um, Evan's in the sit-down bathroom, and so Luke says, I can go out here. I said, okay. And so I'm in the sit-down bathroom. I'm like, Luke, you doing okay, buddy? Yeah, I'm doing okay. And so I'm, you know, I'm just kind of checking up on him. So we get out there, and Luke's washing his hands in the sink, and we go out there. And so my sister says, well, how did it go in there? You know, he's, and I'm like, yeah, everything went fine. Well, well, tell me about it. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm in the sit-down bathroom with Evan, and uh, Luke's out there. She's like, what do you mean he's out there? I'm like, you know, the urinal where the guys stand up. And she's like, um, he's never been in one of those before. And she's like, we always have him sit down at home. I'm like, oh. Well, I guess today was his day, you know, his, his, his big through day. So she talks to him, and because Luke had never seen, his revelation of a toilet was only that you sit down on it, he pulled his pants down and sat down in the urinal <laughs> and went to the bathroom, which, which is kind of like the Ugandan bathrooms. Anyway, and so, the, um, and so I'm sure he got the bath of a lifetime. I think she scrubbed him with kerosene, the poor kid. Your revelation sets the boundaries for what you know to be true. Okay, some people, if you don't know it's always God's will to heal, you're never going to have faith, because how do you even know if God agrees with you? Okay, you see what I'm saying? Like, your revelation of that truth sets what you can actually believe for. It enlarges the arena that our faith can, uh, uh, can function in. Deception shrinks the arena that your faith can function in. I have people ask me, well, can God do this? They'll ask me some question. I'm always hesitant to give you an answer that shrinks down what God can do. Um, it's kind of in his job description. He can do anything. It's, it's what it means to be God. Do you know how to tell if you're deceived? 
Well, let me tell you. Um, if, the, if the standard that you're having doesn't match the standard of Jesus, then you're deceived. People, well, God told me this, and God told me this. Listen, if I can't find it in the person of Jesus who says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the exact representation of the Father's being. Okay, so um, uh, recently I'm teaching at a church, not Zion, uh, here in the area. And as I'm teaching on healing, this lady raises her hand and she says, um, I don't agree with what you're saying. I said, uh, I said you know what? Hey, I, I bless that. You're, you're welcome to do that. Anything in particular. And uh, she, begins, uh, she begins insulting me. She says, um, you, uh, I've seen people that have seen more miracles than you, which I'm thinking, you don't know what I've seen, but you know, keep going. And um, she says, I know people that have seen more miracles than you, and they teach it differently than you, and you're myopic, which means nearsighted. Um, I'm so proud of myself because the first thing I wanted to say was, if I'm myopic, you're blind, sister. But I didn't say that. <laughs> I felt like it was a real win. I, I really felt like it was just a, a real victory of self-control. And so um, she says, you're myopic. And I said, sister, um, you have no idea how myopic I am. I'm so myopic that I don't, if I don't see it in the life of Jesus, then I don't see it. And I said, so um, I said, tell me, what you're saying I'm uh, teaching wrong, can I find that in the life of Jesus? No. And I said, then you're deceived. And I said, I just want everyone in this room to know this lady is deceived. I don't agree with her. And she will not see healing on any consistent basis till she breaks the stronghold off her mind. And um, so she came up to me afterwards. I'll just tell you the rest of the story. Guys, it's this, it's this strong. I told her that because I cared about her. Okay, she's not seeing anything good in her life. And so she comes up to me and she says, um, oh, I'm sorry for interrupting. I said, you're allowed to have your opinions. I said, tell me where you got your opinion. And she names the name of her church and the teacher and um, probably a lot of people in this room would know the person. And, uh, and I said, listen, I said, have you ever taken that teaching and gone to the word of God with the Holy Spirit to see if it was true? She says, no. I said, then you're basically a Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witnesses blast the Christians because we say that we can take the Holy Spirit. We don't need a teacher. The Holy Spirit will teach us and guide us into all truth. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses says only your teachers can tell you you can't possibly understand the word of God. And I said, even though your doctrine may say that you can, you're functioning like a Jehovah's Witness. So I said, I would encourage you to go check these things out with Scripture. How are we doing? What do we need? We need revelation. Okay, listen, you can have revelation imparted through teachers, but I'm... You need to put some dirt and water on that seed. When something hits you, you need to take it until it becomes true in your experience. So I'm going to get to that in a second. You guys good? And I may, I don't want anyone to think like this poor lady, she, uh, it was very adversarial, okay? And I kept my cool. I don't want to, I think there was actually a couple people here from there that I saw it. So anyway, all right. I'm not normally that, well, I don't normally get challenged and say, I don't agree with you. Okay, anyway, all right. Um, the spirit of revelation, while it's absolute blessing in our lives, while it's absolutely essential, um, we live or die by its function in our life, it's also extremely dangerous. Okay? It's dangerous for this reason. Any re revelation that you receive that does not take you into a God encounter only serves to make you more religious. Okay? Paul warns that knowledge puffs up. That's 1 Corinthians 2. The context of that is not if you get really smart at math, if you get really smart at science and you know more than people. The context is actually revelation knowledge. And if this revelation knowledge, if, it, if you get it there and it does not take you into an encounter with God and a sustained time of transformation to become the kind of person who can carry out that truth, it's only going to equip you to debate other people. 
I mean, how many believers do we have that they know a little something, and they like to go and they like to pick theological fights? Knowledge puffs up. So here's the deal. Um, the Lord, he increases your understanding. It's up to you. So he, I'll say he breathes revelation on you. I'm going to talk about how do you know it's revelation here in just a second. But the, uh, the Holy Spirit, he breathes something on you. You begin to know something. Like something becomes alive in your life. And you, you feel almost this invitation. There's this excitement on you. There's this freshness to it. And it happens. Um, you, it's up to you to pursue two things for this to go where it's supposed to go. Okay? Number one, an encounter with God. And number two, an anointing that's equal to the depth of the revelation. Let me explain both those things. You guys good? Yeah. All right. All right. It's important that when we see truth, it takes us to Jesus. Here's John 5, 38. Jesus said this to the Pharisees. You search the scriptures because you think in them they have eternal life. But it is these scriptures that testify of me, and you're unwilling to come to me. What's he saying? You studied because you think studying the Bible is an end of itself just to be able to know things. That's not the point. The whole point of the Bible is to lead you into an encounter with the author. And if you're not led into an encounter with the author, then you've missed the whole point of the Bible. Some people are satisfied with good theology, and because of that, they have bad theology. True good theology takes you into the person of Jesus. It's not a, we don't teach here week after week so that you can debate people who disagree with us. Okay? Just, okay. Revelation is to bring you to an encounter with the person of Jesus because it's all about Jesus. I, I think I'm realizing this more and more. I, think, I don't think I ever would have wrote on an exam, it's not all about Jesus. I, I think I would have always said that. But I tell you what, more and more, it really is all about him. That's why it says the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. I think the Passion Translation says, so it leads to a deepening intimacy with Jesus. Why? Because in Jesus are all the treasure, the hidden wisdom of God. It says the unsearchable riches of Christ. Guys, he is the whole deal. Here's the scariest verse in the New Testament for me. Um, 2 Corinthians 11, I believe it's verse 3. Just as Eve was deceived by the serpent. Think how big that is. Just as Eve was deceived by the serpent. I fear that you too have moved away from the simplicity that is Christ. You guys want to know the best kept secret in the church? Christ. We need mantles. We need triple portion anointings. We need impartations. Great. Are those things taking you into a greater awe of Jesus? He is the prize. He is the whole deal. Don't get distracted by all this stuff, the, the Nephilim and the... All, come on. If you're not familiar with the Nephilim, don't. It's so stupid. I can't even handle it. Talk about an adventure and missing the point. Demons having sex with women and creating this race of giants that's going to overcome. Like, come on, guys. People are making a bunch of money off that. Besides the fact that Jesus is trying to take us through revelation into an encounter, there's a second thing. He wants us to realize that the greater the revelation, the greater the anointing necessary to be able to display the reality of that revelation. Okay? The point of revelation is not just so that you can like, know things. Okay? The point is that the, once you know those things, you're able to represent them here on planet Earth. Okay? You can pick just about any verse of the Bible, and you can see why it says that it's line upon line, precept upon precept. There's such a depth to the Bible that we will never, ever plumb. It's just, 
I could come to you with Christian slogans and phrases and work you up in, well, probably not me, but the good preachers can, work you up in a frenzy where you're shouting and you're amening. You will applaud the theory, but God's inviting you into the reality of the thing. I tell you, I watched it in Africa. The culture there is a preaching culture. And if you'll begin to hype up your voice, it doesn't even matter what you say. They will be shouting and amening, even though it's not revelation to their heart and it's not pursuit into the reality is in your life. I know of a preacher who was very good. He went into a church uh, in a city I used to pastor in, and um, he had a script. He memorized the script. He got up there, and he said the script with all this hype, had people cheering and screaming, and he said, sit down, everybody. He read them the script. He says, I basically said nothing to you, but because of the way I said it, you hooped and hollered. There's a culture in the church that will shout an amen. Guys, shout amen, great. That's not the point. The point is not to tickle your ears or to make you think differently. The point is that God is inviting you into the reality of that truth so that you can display it in your life. The greater the revelation, the greater the pursuit and the secret place of making that thing become a reality into your life. I mean, literally, you can take just about any verse and just say, oh God, there's such a depth in there. I, help me. Like, like, like if you're bored, just read a verse and just see what's there. So um, it's been okay. So here there's a verse that says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And I think when, when difficult times come, people have quoted that verse. Yeah, we're seated with Christ, we're seated with Christ. And they've been satisfied with the thought of it, but God's actually inviting us into an encounter with him so that it becomes revelation. And then a pursuit that we begin to see life from heaven's perspective. That we're literally ruling and reigning over problems, co-seated with him, the name above every name, do you see the difference? Like, God, through intimacy, help me help this thing to become a reality in my life so that when hard times are coming, I'm not just going, oh, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places, just saying some slogan, but I'm recognizing, God, I've been invited into a reality, so now I begin to see things completely differently. Carnal Christianity is when the born-again believer leans on their own understanding, emotions, and thought rather than the direct influence of the Holy Spirit. You can be saved and live like an absolute pagan because you have not had the renewing of your mind happen through revelation and intimacy and the pursuit of that thing. Because this is the whole Christian life. You've already received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. In your spirit, man, the Holy Spirit, your spirit, they have come together. They are one. You have the mind of Christ on the inside. You don't need, he, Paul says, you are complete in him. He says, um, Christ is complete uh, representation of God and you are complete in him. Like, Boy, that's a great one to quote. That's one of those is like, I think I'll take a, you know, probably a couple million years in the afterlife to start scratching that one, right? I mean, it's an amazing thing. But what I want you to see is it's, where is my point? Carnal, carnal Christianity. Carnal Christianity applauds the slogan, applauds the thought. But when life happens, they begin to act as if those thoughts aren't true. They're not allowing the divine influence of the Holy Spirit into that situation. They're just living on what they can see, taste, hear, smell, feel, figure out how we're going to solve this problem. What are the current resources that we have? When what we need is the Holy Spirit to go, so we can see, oh, there's actually more with us than there are with them. What the book of Revelation is to the person of Jesus, remember, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not a revelation of the Antichrist. The Antichrist isn't even mentioned in the book of Revelation. Sorry. So it's a, what it does for the person of Jesus uh, revealing him, the, uh, the book of Ephesians does that same thing. It's an unveiling of the cosmic significance of what Christ has done. It, it just does it in a, in a different language. 
Let me just give you another example. John 4, 35. Jesus says, do not say there's four months and then the harvest. Lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are already white for harvest. Boy, this is a great verse for evangelism. It's a great verse for missions conventions, and I don't want to demean any of that. But for I don't know of anybody on the planet that has entered into the reality of this verse. Here's what Jesus, here's the context. In John chapter 3, Jesus has said, listen, I want to tell you guys about spiritual things, but you can't even understand earthly things. So let me use some earthly examples with you, but I desire to impart to you things that have no earthly parallel. So he tells us that you can look at nature and understand one level of spiritual things. Psalm 19 says that, the heavens and the earth declare the glory of God. You can find, so Jesus begins using things about seeds and plants. And you see what I'm saying? He begins to get spiritual truths from earthly things. Okay? And so he's like, hey, um, what happens when you're born from above? It's like being born again. He says um, when, you're, uh, when you're a person who's led by the Holy Spirit, it's like partnering with the wind. He begins using these earthly illustrations. But he says, I'd like to tell you something that has no earthly parallel. So here he gets to this thing, and he tells him th- something that has no earthly parallel. He says, on earth, here's how it works. You plant, four months later, you harvest. He said, but here's the reality of my kingdom is that everybody is harvestable right now. He's looking for a people who are willing to enter into the reality that that bossy coworker, that person who's always depressed, that ISIS member who's breathing threats down Christianity, that weird uncle that nobody wants to hang around, that dot, dot, dot. That person in your life who the black sheep of the family that seems so far gone, Jesus is saying, here's the truth. You can applaud the theory, but is there going to be a people who through intimacy will pursue the reality, even to get breakthrough in this thing, that every person you walk in is white, white for the harvest. They are harvestable right now. I don't know about this person. God's going to have to really do this and that. You're believing a lie, so now you get to live in that field rather than in a realm. We cannot be a people who applaud the concept. That's, that's legal and fine, you know, to, to, to agree with those things, but it has to drive us to the secret place to get the anointing that's equal to the concept. It's this quest for revelation that takes us to the person of Jesus so that we can become the kind of person who can represent the truth of that concept. This is, this is huge. Did you know the Bible does not say the truth will set you free? Here's what it says, John chapter 8. It starts in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He didn't just say knowing truth would set you free. He said the people who abided in that word... What does that mean? It means a revelation came and they stayed with it. They remained in it until they were transformed and then they knew by experience the reality of that word. Are we good? All right, let me just conclude with this. Recognizing revelation. How do you know when God's speaking to you? Um, it's going to have a freshness to it. A lot of times you're not even like trying to think of it. You're just kind of going about your day, you're vacuuming, you're driving down the road, and all of a sudden, whew, uh, I like to use this illustration if you ever watch Phineas and Ferb on the Disney Channel. I know what I'm going to do today. I just all of a sudden, they're going to build some rocket ship that does something. and like, like They're just going about their day, and then whew, this idea comes. There's a freshness to it. It's going to be better than anything you could have come up with on your own. 
um, it's, it's going to, uh, it's probably going to require faith for you to do it. It's probably not going to be something in your own strength. I just had a revelation. I can tie my shoes. Like, like I can do that on my own strength. There's a revelation that God's like, hey, I want you to do this in the city. Wow. I would have never thought of that on my own. Um, anything God speaks to you will not contradict his word and may contradict your understanding of his word. Remember, God's like, hey, Peter, I want you to go speak to the, he gives him that vision and, uh, with all the unclean animals. And, and, uh, and then he says, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm a good Jewish boy. I'm not going to do that. And, he, and God says, hey, anything that I've made, don't call unclean if I've called it clean. Remember that? Because he was, he was transforming the covenants. It wasn't about food laws, that whole thing. And so um, God will never contradict his word, but he has no problem contradicting your understanding of his word. That's why we've got to remain childlike in this thing. When we begin to become experts on these things and loving to debate people and stuff like that, you're going to level off and probably shrink down. It's that humble heart that attracts heaven. Sometimes revelation looks like this. You're confused, you're in trouble, and you get in the presence of God, and there's just that washing of the word. You're reading the Bible, and then five minutes later, suddenly you're just in peace. You couldn't explain anything out of your head, out of what just happens, but there's been an encounter with his presence, and so there's revelation that's imparted to your spirit, and then here's one of my favorite things to do is pray in tongues. Okay, yeah, I'm saying it. I know it's weird. It, uh, it gets made fun of by everybody. Praying in tongues is not for your head. It's for your spirit. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 12. It says, he who prays in an unknown tongue, in other words, you're, you're not understanding what you're praying, um, does not speak to men, but he's uttering mysteries. Remember where the revelation realm is? It's in that mystery realm. When you speak in tongues, you begin to have this Jacob's ladder, this, this, open, this, this connection between you and heaven where you are now speaking into this mystery realm and your spirit is loving it. Your spirit man is feasting on this. Jude 20 actually says that you build up yourself on the most holy faith. What's, how, how's it happening? I don't know. But as you speak in tongues, you're opening yourself up to this mystery realm, and it primes the pump for you to begin to receive revelation. I know in my life that I just, um, speaking in tongues is not just for a Sunday morning, like, you know, I don't know what to do for this ministry, shot that out, but you know, it's, it's not about that. It, it's, it's this lifestyle where Paul says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. And, um, where, where this lifestyle of praying in, the, in tongues and opening myself up to this mystery realm. And then as I'm going about my day, I've got this open heaven over my life and God just begins to speak revelation. And I get this revelation. I say, oh God, that is so not true in my life. And, and it takes me into intimacy to see the reality of it. You can't just say, God desires to heal people. God desires to heal people and not pursue the reality of it in your life because your life's going to be a contradiction to the truth. This isn't to lay guilt. This is just to lay the map. It's not enough to know it's enough to represent, okay? And too many times in the church, we've been trained to listen, to agree, to amen, to shout it up, and then to go out unchanged. Okay, that, that, is, uh, that cannot be. That cannot be. So here's what I want to do. That wasn't too long. If I could have everybody stand. Dreams in the night opens you up to that mystery realm. It's God speaking while your defenses are down. <laughs> You can't argue, you can't fight back, but you do have to seek out the meaning of it oftentimes. A lot of times they're like parables at night. They're full of symbols and, and, and uh, the Bible calls them dark sayings. It's like mystery. mystery. And so I'd encourage you, write down your dreams. Um, if you will begin to honor your dreams, God will begin to increase them. Some people say, I never dream. And uh, I'd encourage you, repent. You say, God, you know what, if I haven't taken them seriously, if I've just been like, oh, that was pizza, 
just like, Lord, I repent of not honoring the way that you're speaking to me because in the Bible, kings sought out interpretations for their dreams. They didn't go, oh, that was weird. They actually honored it to the point. Jesus would not be alive if Joseph hadn't honored the dream to flee Herod. And so dreams were uh, throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, was a way that God communicated to his people. So um, part of that mystery realm, that part of that revelation, we, uh, boy, we, we love that. That's, that's actually how the morning starts off in our family every single day. I wake up, and Mary's uh, anxiously waiting so she can ask me, did you have a dream? Which she doesn't really care if I had a dream. She wants to tell me about her saga <laughs> that night. My dream's like, yeah, I was in this room, and I prayed for a bunch of people, and they got healed. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. Okay, let me tell you about my dream. And so, um, so we write those things down. We, we honor them. There's people in, in the church here who are gifted at dream interpretation. So I'd, I'd encourage you. This is, this is a realm of the spirit that uh, is from God. But as far as the speaking in tongues, it's a gift for every believer. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 11. He says, um, if you uh, ask for a piece of bread, would you, if you ask your dad for a piece of bread, was he going to give you a stone? We're getting ready to speak in tongues here, so just get ready for the weird. You guys Okay. Listen, if I went to a Buddhist temple, I'd expect them to do Buddhist temple things. I'd expect chanting. I'd expect incense. I'd expect the orange robes. You're in a church. You expect church things. And one of the church things they did in the Bible was they spoke in tongues. Okay, so don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Okay, we sang. We worship. We're going to speak in tongues. You're like, but I don't speak in tongues. I'm about to help you with that. (laughs) I don't want to speak in tongues. Well, enjoy your natural life. Like, like, seriously, I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying, if God has a gift for you and it's from him, why on earth would you not want it from the best dad in the whole world? Like, like, I'm worried about what I will think. The fear of man is a snare in your life and it's holding you back. And we're going to repent of that fear of man, fear of looking stupid, fear of what if it's me. Like, break that thing off your life. I know some of the wives are squeezing their husband's hand like, this is for you. This just... <laughs> It's for all of us. I can feel it in the room right now. Like, I've been waiting for this. <laughs> Guys, it's a, it's a gift. Picture, you know, like a dynamo in, in your belly. And it's like as you're praying, that thing turns and it cranks and it provides more and more energy. It's a gift from God so that you can build up your spirit, man, so that when you don't know what to pray, you can pray the perfect will of God. You can just tap into that realm. Is it weird? Of course it's weird. It's not for your mind. It's offensive to your mind. Your mind's going to be going, what are these sounds coming out of my mouth? I'm making this up. This is super weird. Is this Chinese? And so so just, like, don't try to figure it out, okay? Listen, you've been here this long. Just wait a few more minutes, okay? My friend, when we were, uh, we got, uh, we get together and we pray in tongues, um, he sounds like Chinese warrior tongues. It's like the coolest tongues in the world. And I'm always so jealous because I feel like my praying in tongues sounds like Bam Bam from the, or, uh, Pebbles from the Flintstones. It's like, it's like goo goo God. I'm like, oh man, how come he gets Chinese warrior tongues? I get this ridiculous thing. But you know what? Just honor what it is. Just honor what it is not for your mind. Okay? My wife and I, when we pray together, we pray together more in tongues than we do English. There was, a, there was a season where um, we would set a timer. I think it was five minutes. And, she, and so we would lay in bed and we would hold hands, set the timer, we'd pray in tongues <laughs> for five minutes. Timer would go off and then we'd just see what the Lord had for us. And so I guess I issued this challenge a couple years ago. Sean was reminding me of this. Just try praying in tongues for five minutes a day. You can do it while you're doing laundry. You can do it while you're showering. You can do it while whatever activity you can do is you're praying with it. What I like to do is I like to imagine... Uh, God on the throne or Christ in me. It just helps me just to, I'm actually speaking to a person. I'm not just speaking gibberish into the air. 
It says, he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Okay? And so what I found is it, sometimes it feels like the most intimate thing I can do is to pray these words out to this father on the throne. So sometimes I look up and sometimes I look down to like the Christ within me, realizing he's right there. I don't know if that helps anybody. If it doesn't, just throw it out. But here we are. And he says, if you ask for a piece of bread, he's not going to give you a stone. If you ask for a piece of meat, your father's not going to give you a snake. He says, how much more? In other words, if a good earthly dad wouldn't do this, how much more this perfectly heavenly father? Are you ready for this? He said, will, not give, will he not give you the Holy Spirit to them who ask? So Jim, how do I get this crazy gift? You ask. Father, just as you uh, poured your Holy Spirit into me, when, uh, when I was saved, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would come upon me and enable me to have this gift of tongues so that I can be more intimate with you, so that I have uh, greater spiritual power to serve you. It's not just for the goosebumps, although I will say speaking in tongues is fun. I don't know how to do it. Um, I will be vulnerable with you, and I, don't send me an email. I don't care. But um, I'll tell you what I do. I love to listen to 80s rock music in the car and pray in tongues. It's like... <laughs> You know, the one feeds the flesh and the other one feeds my spirit. I don't know how it happens, but something about praying in tongues, the white snake, it just does something for me, okay? I'm not recommending it. I'm just saying you can do it wherever you're at. And it's an intimate thing between you and your father. Did I just lose half the crowd? Or did I just gain the guys 35 and over? They're like, yeah. So here's what we're going to do is... Um, uh, a mentor of mine uh, just taught me to do it this way. There's a, there's a verse in Job that says, I looked up to heaven, I opened my mouth, and you filled it. I'm going to have you guys, if, uh, I'm going to have everybody look up to heaven. We're going to ask God to fill our mouths, and we're going to speak out. And if you've never spoken tongues, I'd encourage you just, um, here's what stepping out of faith looks like, is you begin to speak out what you're hearing. Just speak out what you're hearing. And everyone's going to be speaking in tongues. And just, you know what, let's just do this. God, I repent of the fear of man. God, I repent of just worrying about what somebody else thinks. God, I want what you have for me. You're a good dad. You've got good gifts. My mind may not comprehend it, but God, I see it in the Bible. Um, the Bible actually says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. I think that's 1 Corinthians 14, 39. Um, Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. It's, it's a wonderful gift. There's been bad teaching on it. There's been just all this, who cares about that? This is a gift from your Father so that you can enter into that mystery realm so you can begin to receive revelation so that you can begin to live out that revelation. Okay? So here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to pray, and uh, I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you're going to look up, we're going to open our mouths, and we're going to begin to speak. And God is going to give you that gift of tongues when you ask for it. So let's, uh, guys... If your heart's pounding, man, I'm not trying to pressure anybody. I grew up in the denomination that was all about trying you to get you to speak in tongues to prove that you had something, and then they never did it in their daily life. Okay, so we spoke in tongues, but we didn't speak in tongues. <laughs> we had this experience at youth camp, but we never had this daily walk of intimacy of praying in spirit with the Father. And so, guys, we need this. We need this gift. Okay, again, if you're weirded out, um, boy, just... Just enjoy the Lord. Just see what he does, okay? So Holy Spirit, you said if we would ask, you would give us the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you that you desire each person in here to go to another level, <laughs> line upon line, precept upon precept. So Lord, whether we've spoken tongues for years or whether this is something that's brand new that we're about to step into, Lord, I pray for a grace right now. So just in your own heart, say, Holy Spirit, I want this gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Some of you, I'm just going to help you. Lord, push past the disappointments of when it didn't work or when it was weird or when they got felt pressure. And uh, we just break that off in the name of Jesus. And, uh, and today, Lord, we just look for something fresh. I'm not going to try to identify people who haven't to see if you've got it. We're just all going to just go for it with the Lord. And, um, and if you're not comfortable, just, just do whatever you're comfortable with again. So Holy Spirit, as, uh, as we uh, look up to you, as we open our mouths, I ask you that you would fill their mouths with the gift of speaking in tongues. It says they spoke in tongues and the Spirit gave them utterance. The Spirit's not going to come and vibrate your tongue or make you talk. You're going to talk and he's going to give you the words. And so just look up to heaven, everybody. Open your mouth, take a deep breath. In the name of Jesus, speak in tongues. So just begin to pray out loud what you're hearing. Pray out loud what you're hearing right now. It may just be a syllable at first, and it'll, it may grow into something over time. But right now, Father, Holy Spirit, pour out the gift of tongues. Utter mysteries with our spirit. Just put hands on the person next to you and just begin to pray. Just keep praying in the spirit. And uh, if, you're not, if, if this is something new, again, just pray out what you're hearing, and it's not for your mind. It's going to be offended. In the name of Jesus, I just release this gift on, this, on the congregation right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Just let it flow. Again, if you're just having difficulty, just ask the Father again. Just God, I, I just push aside this fear. Lord, I want everything that you have for me and nothing less. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Wonderful, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Just have your way. Thank you, Lord. Have your way, God. Just do your way. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, what you have begun, I pray that it would continue. Lord, let it build. Let it build. Guys, I encourage you, try five minutes a day. This isn't some legalistic thing. This is wisdom. This is wisdom recognizing that when I pray and he gives me the words, I'm accessing a realm so that I can receive every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And uh, again, we're not trying to be weird for the sake of weird, but um, I know we had a glory train last week and we got tongues this week, so you know what? Let's just, uh, let's just keep spanking those religious spirits in the face and just see what happens here. I encourage you, five minutes a day, gang. It'll, it'll absolutely change your life, and it's, it's, a, it's a thing of intimacy.